0: Welcome to the latest ATP podcast with me, Chris Bowers, which has an unmistakably and unashamedly Roger Federer theme to it. Because this week, the great Swiss announced via a lengthy and heartfelt message on his Instagram page that this coming week's Laver Cup at London's O2 Arena will be his final tour-level event.
1: To my tennis family and beyond, of all the gifts that tennis has given me over the years, the greatest, without a doubt, has been the people I've met along the way. My friends my competitors, and most of all the fans who give the sport its life. Today, I want to share some news with all of you. As many of you know, the past three years have presented me with challenges in the form of injuries and surgeries. I've worked hard to return to full competitive form, but I also know my body's capacities and limits, and its message to me lately, has been clear. I am 41 years old. I've played more than 1,500 matches over 24 years. Tennis has treated me more generously than I ever would have dreamt, and now I must recognize when it is time to end my competitive career. The Labour Cup next week in London will be my final ATP event. I will play more tennis in the future, of course, but just not in Grand Slams or on the Tour. This is a bittersweet decision, because I will miss everything the Tour has given me. But at the same time, there is so much to celebrate. I consider myself one of the most fortunate people on Earth. I was given a special talent to play tennis, and I did it at a level that I never imagined for much longer than I ever thought possible. I would like to especially thank my amazing wife, Mirka, who has lived through every minute with me. She has warmed me up before finals, watched countless matches, even while over eight months pregnant, and has endured my goofy side on the road with my team for over 20 years. I also want to thank my four wonderful children for supporting me, always eager to explore new places and creating wonderful memories along the way. Seeing my family cheering me on from the stands is a feeling I will cherish forever. I would also like to thank and recognize my loving parents, my dear sister, without whom nothing would be possible. A big thank you to all my former coaches who always guided me in the right direction. You have been wonderful. And to Swiss Tennis, who believed in me as a young player and gave me an ideal start. I really want to thank and acknowledge my amazing team, Ivan, Danny, Roland, and particularly Seve and Pierre, who have given me the best advice and have always been there for me. Also Tony, for creatively managing my business for over 17 years. You are all incredible, and I've loved every minute with you. I want to thank my loyal sponsors, who are really like partners to me, and the hardworking teams and tournaments on the ATP Tour, who consistently welcomed all of us with kindness and hospitality. I would also like to thank my competitors on the court, I was lucky enough to play so many epic matches that I will never forget. We battled fairly, with passion and intensity, and I always tried my best to respect the history of the game. I feel extremely grateful. We pushed each other and together we took tennis to new levels. Above all, I must offer a special thank you to my unbelievable fans. You will never know how much strength and belief you have given me. The inspiring feeling of walking into full stadiums and arenas has been one of the huge thrills in my life. Without you, those successes would have felt lonely rather than filled with joy and energy. The last 24 years on tour have been an incredible adventure. While it sometimes feels like it went by in 24 hours, it has also been so deep and magical that it seems as if I've already lived a full lifetime. I've had the immense fortune to play in front of you in over 40 different countries. I have laughed and cried, felt joy and pain, and most of all, I have felt incredibly alive. Through my travels, I've met many wonderful people who will remain friends for life, who consistently took time out of their busy schedules to come and watch me play and cheer me on around the globe. Thank you. When my love of tennis started, I was a ball kid in my hometown of Basel. I used to watch the players with a sense of wonder. They were like giants to me and I began to dream. My dreams led me to work harder and I started to believe in myself. Some success brought me confidence and I was on my way to the most amazing journey that has led to this day. So I want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart to everyone around the world who has helped make the dreams of a young Swiss ball kid come true. Finally, to the game of tennis, I love you and will never leave you.
0: Roger Federer speaking on his Instagram account on Thursday and over the course of the past few days, the tennis world has taken to social media with reactions from thousands of players and fans to those who worked with him and even put pen to paper to document his career. I'm one of the handful of people who've written books about Federer. I first met him when he was 16. he just won the boys' singles and doubles at Wimbledon. And he had a cheerful confidence about his ability to win the big titles. I remember thinking, this kid's one to watch and and one I'd be happy to see do well. Quite the legend he's become, I don't think any of us could have guessed that he was destined for that. Another person to write about Federer is my colleague and good friend Christopher Clary, the New York Times' tennis correspondent, whose own account, The Master, became a New York Times bestseller. Chris and I sat down to throw some ideas around about Federer, who ends his career on 20 Grand Slam singles titles. But with Rafael Nadal having moved to 22 this year and Novak Djokovic now on 21, I put it to Chris that there's a danger that Federer will now be relegated to third man in this great dynasty.
2: Look, I mean, I think there's already a decent argument that he's number three now as we speak in terms of just the tennis results. I mean, uh, just Things that matter the most, the number of Grand Slam singles titles in this era is a huge thing with... Um, that sort of being the benchmark that, wrongly or rightly, has been set by the general public. And then the number one record, which Novak now has very clearly, number of weeks of number one. The head-to-head record, even though you can argue that many different ways with the surfaces and the number of matches on clay and and the timing of their ages when their peaks were. Roger does trail both of them. But look, I, I'd really believe, unless something crazy happens in the next couple of years where Novak, say, completes the Grand Slam or blows out the number to 27, 28 and does something extraordinarily amazing in his late 30s. I think we're going to see this era as a group of three. And I think Roger will always be part of that conversation. The rivalries that they they had and they created over a long period of time, and that's part of the extraordinary thing, is that they really were able to do it again and again, repeatedly in these major venues. I think that, that in the collective consciousness, it's going to be a group thing. And Roger certainly is going to be part of that.
0: Let's talk a little bit about longevity. To what extent does that play a role? I mean, I remember when Connors got to the US Open semifinals at 39 and people said, oh, this enhances the Connors legend. Not sure in retrospect whether it has. Federer had two match points to win Wimbledon in 2019, just a few
2: weeks short of his 38th birthday. I feel like he's already done this chapter in some ways, having written a few chapters about him now. (laughs) I feel like he'd already made that great comeback at an advanced age, found a way to succeed, win the three more Grand Slam singles titles. And I do think that match that you referred to, the 2019 Wimbledon final, that would have been potentially taking him to the stratosphere for good, even in this era, if he'd won that match. Just because the age he would have been, the context... He's already proven that he loves the game. He's already proven that he has the skill set and the endurance to be able to last a long time in a Darwinian game. So I don't know how much that really changes the overall picture, to be honest.
0: Looking back on his career... What stands out for you? Could be a tennis memory, could be just something private that uh, you picked up in one of the interviews. What, what has stood out for you or possibly even surprised
2: you about him? I want you to answer this one, too. I will. side that gets only fear if you're getting all this out of me.
0: you not given you notice, do you want me to answer <laughs> it first? Go ahead. I don't, I don't mind thinking. Well, the thing about uh, one of my early interviews with him, he was 19, and... He was talking so confidently. And I played doubles with uh, Severin Luti, who was his friend and doubles partner. So we had that in common. We we connected on that. And we were talking about South Africa, because he spent a lot of holidays in South Africa. And he said to me, um, I said to him, so what do you think of the political situation in South Africa at the moment? He said, well, I don't know. I don't know much about the political situation. I mean, obviously, I, I follow the broad developments, but no, I mean, I'm 19. Why should I have an opinion on that? And and actually, it was a totally fair and logical answer. What struck me about it was he was willing to say that with total confidence at a time when I had assumed he would have an opinion because he gave that impression of being old beyond his years. He had the confidence, and yet he had that ability that I think is a sign of great knowledge. He had that ability to say, I don't know, with confidence. Mm. That stands out, and it's quite early in his career.
2: I don't think he's somebody who's ever—I'm trying to think back in all our time—interviews and—I've pres- never, I've never heard him not tell the truth. He doesn't volunteer it all the time, by any means. He doesn't go out of his way to give you the information. But if you ask him a question, I, I think, in my experience, you get a straight answer. And that, considering how many interviews people like me have done with him over the years and how many news conferences he's done, that's, that's a pretty nice, clean sheet. But I guess if I had to think about one sort of thing— it's how I start the book, to be honest with you, but I have to say it's sort of like you it 's a, it 's a, a connection with him on one on one on one level and it was uh, in Buenos Aires, Argentina when he was there for the exhibition tour, the first one he did down there this was uh, two thousand and twelve and around christmas time and I happened to be there as well I ended up in the car with him coming back from the Del Potro exhibition late at night around midnight and um, getting chased by fans on motorcycles and fans and cars and just sort of it was very much like a rock star sort of tour and I you know I was just struck then he was already in his early 30s I guess at that point just how enthusiastic genuinely enthusiastic he was about this experience this is a guy who spends most of his year on the road at this stage in hotels traveling to countries changing continents changing time zones and he could not have been more like a little kid in this car heading back to his hotel after this night plan dopo, And he was looking out the window and sort of waving at these people as they came by the car and and just sort of pressed against the glass and just talking about the joy of travel and the joy of new experiences. And yeah, there weren't any points on the line here. It wasn't for a trophy. It was about him and I think him discovering kind of the reach that he had in a part of the world where he'd never really been at this stage before. And he was kind of a I think really energizing for him and invigorating. And I think that's when I realized, whoa, having covered Sampras, who retired around the same age, I go, this guy is far, far from finished because he's got this this love of the process. And I think that's what it is for Roger. I think either through goodwill or strong will, he managed over time to embrace so many elements of being a pro tennis player that others find enervating or frustrating and uh, or just plain old just a pain in the butt. And Roger was somebody who really was able, I think, over time to, by his own nature and, and probably by that maturity that you saw early on, understand what was going to be inevitable and let's do it right. And that trip there, though, was I love what I do for a living. I love what it brings me. I love the energy I'm getting. And I just remember the feeling in that car that night. And we continued the interview later as well at the hotel. And it was just uh, it was it was great to see somebody who wasn't jaded at all.
0: Chris Clary and I are comparing our notes on Roger Federer, and you can hear more of that chat between two of Federer's biographers on the ATP podcast channel this coming week. In the interest of fairness, we ought to point out that the Swiss journalists René Stauffer and Simon Graf have both written books about Federer. In fact, the first editions of René's and my biographies came out 16 years ago in 2006 and have both been updated several times since. Among Federer's many achievements were 103 tour-level singles titles, making him second only to Jimmy Connors in the men's game. Connors won six more and remains the leader on 109, with the final piece of silverware for Federer coming in his beloved hometown of Basel in 2019. And it was in Basel where the tennis journey started in earnest, as a 13-year-old ball boy cheered on the sidelines by his mother Lynette, who was also working at that event.
3: It was great. I think for Roger, it was nice to know that my mom was always there in case he needed me, but he never needed me, which was also a nice sign. And uh, he loved just being around the the players and being together with the same age boys was, of course, great fun. And uh, I think he had a great time. Unfortunately, it was just for one year. But uh, it also shows you uh, he was a ball kid and today he's he's, he's on the center court. And uh, it's actually an amazing story. Do you think he treats the ball kids better, having been in that position? I do believe so. I, I really do. I, I'm always struck by it when, when I watch him all over the world, how he treats the ball kids. He would never misuse them in any way. He's always very respectful towards them. And uh, he always passes the ball in a way to also sometimes challenge them. And I think that's really nice So because it can become a little boring when you stand in a corner and wait for the balls. But I, I think he, he, he's always very aware of the ball kids.
0: And when he was doing the year as ball boy, did he come home in the evenings and talk about the players he'd, uh, he'd ball boyed for? Uh,
3: I remember that he got a signature from Pete Sampras, which was actually his idol at the time, and uh, that they, he was very excited about that.
0: And was there something with Wayne Ferreira around that time?
3: That's right. Um, I remember that Wayne actually played the final. And there was a picture in the newspaper where Wayne actually gives him the, the medal. You know, all the ball kids receive a medal after the tournament, and which I find is a very, very nice uh, gesture of the of the tournament. And the players, the final players actually hand over these. And actually the picture was where Wayne hands over the, the medal to Roger. And what is actually very exciting is that later Roger actually played doubles with Wayne. And they know each other very well today. And that's, that's actually a very nice story, I find. And that actually, as a ball kid, you receive a medal. Later, you can play with him. And today, Wayne is maybe coaching or whatever. You still see him on the tennis scene.
0: And there's a South African connection through you.
3: Of course, he's South African, which makes it even more special for mommy. But I think Roger was always uh, always very keen to meet the South African players as well. When Roger started
0: becoming a very prominent Swiss junior around 15, 16, in the sort of mid-90s, did that change your status here? Did that make life easier, harder for you? Uh, Were you more in demand?
3: Uh, no, not really. You're very much involved in his career. You try to uh, guide him. You you go along with the flow. You you try to support. But I think very much didn't change for Robbie and myself because we worked at Sieber and our life uh, continued in the same way. But of course, there was a lot of focus on Roger, and we he needed uh, he didn't need. As much because he was living in the French speaking part of Switzerland already. And uh, so Swiss tenet, tennis was taking very good care of him. And for us, life just carried on. But of course, concentration on your two teenagers. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously a
0: balancing act. So, what would you say to any parent listening to this who has a talented youngster, not just in tennis, in other sports, in music, in dance, in anything else, about? how to respect the childhood and at the same time help your child achieve whatever they can achieve, want to achieve?
3: I think what's very important, I found, is to let go. I think what they do need is your constant support, but you should not concentrate on them day in, day out. You need to give them certain independence. They, they need to find, yes, you're there when they need you. You mustn't be like constantly around them. And I find uh, this is a very important factor I found. And also that the decisions, once a child does decide, for instance, in Roger's case, to leave home, is that the child decides that you you tell him, would you like to go? And he says, yes, of course, I'd like to go to the to join the tennis uh, academy or the tennis center in, in Écublan, which was two and a half hours from home. So for me, this was very important that Roger took these major ins- decisions and that we said okay you can take it and you try your best but if you know you can't manage you can always come home again so for I I think this is very important that that a child understands that you you support them you guide them if it's necessary you have to take certain steps you can also speak to the coaches but for me to be constantly around the children I think this is something uh, we couldn't do.
0: Sage advice from Roger Federer's mother Lynette. Notable other accolades were a 10th title on the grass courts of Halle, an Olympic silver medal in singles at the 2012 London Games, and a doubles gold alongside his good friend Stan Favrinka in Beijing four years earlier, as well as countless Masters 1000 titles and ATP 500 and 250 victories. But one of his most enduring achievements was the moment he became the oldest world number one in history at the age of 36 at the tour event in Rotterdam. 5-2, 40-15, serve wide to the forehand, backhand. put away Federer says thank you very much to Rotterdam he's the
2: champion here for a third time the first time in six years the seventh win in succession against Dimitrov they shake hands condolences from Federer to
0: the Bulgarian just asking him how he is and hoping that uh, he'll recover soon but clearly he couldn't find a way to recover in this final after that blistering early start from him and Federer now takes the applause from the fans the salute from the crowd the world number one apparent. He will be on top of the rankings again tomorrow. And that was the icing on the cake. Commentary from the ATP 500 event in Rotterdam there from Barry Milnes. A tournament presided over by the 1996 Wimbledon champion Richard Krejcik, who was also honoured to have played Federer towards the end of his own career.
4: Yeah, I played him um, first time he was up and coming and uh, was in Vienna. I lost him already. Like, so thought, okay, a talented guy. I was... Struggling with my elbow already, then was one. I think the second last match before I had to take a twenty-month break, um, and then I took the twenty-month break to recover after operation. And the first match I played when I came back, I played Roger Federer again on the grass in Holland, and he was already top-five player, and he was uh, not anymore just a talent. He was already a very, very good player. I lost again to him. Um and um, but of course, never thought he was gonna be, yeah the legend that he that he is to win 20 grand slams. you always thought okay he can be a good player, but he had unbelievable days and a little lesser days. so but then suddenly he became like incredibly consistent and uh, and he's got every shot basically uh, that, uh, that that you think exists, plus the shots that don't exist. Um, so um, yeah, never thought that uh, of course that uh, that, Looking back, that I was playing against uh, somebody who, who becomes so uh, such a great player.
0: From watching him develop from those early years, and then when he was a good player, and you'd say he had some inconsistencies, but from a distance, can you pinpoint what changed within him as a player to make him to give him that consistency? You
4: know, I, to be honest, I, I I don't know. He was unbelievable shot maker. I think maybe started to play a little bit more within himself or something or. He was always very relaxed, I think that's important, you know, he always, uh, the way he hits his shots is, is, is relaxed also when it's slow motion, you know, you don't see any cramped hands or anything, it's, there's, there's a lot of relaxation inside him, so I think that's, that's good, but uh, yeah, somehow he always managed to not go for the unbelievable crazy stuff or something, I, I, I cannot uh, explain it, because still he, uh, he is such a big game, but I think he knew what his A game was, and um, he just wanted more and more all the time so uh, and he was never satisfied with uh, winning one grand slam wanted with another one and and keep on winning and uh, i think that uh, but how he clicked from the inconsistency that's uh, yeah that's very impressive because sometimes a player has it or he doesn't and he can become a little bit less but he came from yeah almost hot cold to to uh, to one of the most consistent player uh, consistent players on the tour
0: is there one performance that's from Roger that sticks out in, in your mind that, that you've watched either in person or, or on TV that, that, that kind of really epitomises what he has achieved and what he's given to the game?
4: Uh, well, I don't know, achievement. But for me, the biggest achievement uh, from his career is the, when he became number one in Rotterdam. And it's not the way he played the tournament because uh, he felt, I think, pretty much tension because he could become the oldest number one. But he won the tournament still, played played good, good enough. But uh, just that he, in that time, with, with uh, uh, that he was already a bit older, and you have uh, Nadal, you got Djokovic. I think Andy Murray was still playing uh, at his top, and to become number one then, I mean, for me, that was the, for me his biggest achievement in his uh, career. And, uh, yeah, that was very impressive uh, to watch. I mean, uh, and there's, yeah, so many great matches or, or shots. I mean, he's got by far the longest hot shot reel of any player, you know, probably his hot shot reel is longer than the combined hot shot reel of the next four guys or something like that. So, yeah, it's really... Uh, so, uh, I mean, so I cannot pick out one performance uh, specifically, but uh, for me, that he became number one, that was, for me, uh, for me the most impressive thing he's done. Richard Krychek. And what are those still playing? The Greek
0: star Stefanos Tsitsipas faced Federer five times in his tour career, losing out 3-2 in the head-to-head, but he also recalls the first time they ever faced each other in the now
5: defunct Hopman Cup. Look, I have a lot of respect for him. I enjoyed just watching him on TV probably hitting with him on the tennis court would have been uh, never in a lifetime scenario. But sometimes, I guess with a little bit of determination, wanting to make it to the top professional level of tennis, your dreams kind of pay off and one thing led to another. Suddenly, I'm faced against Roger Federer at the Hopman Cup for the very first time. And I'm about to serve and I'm thinking, Roger is on the other side of the net, he's my childhood hero, this is beyond unima- unimaginable, like, how did we get to this point? Um, this is how I feel about Roger Federer. Uh, he is um, someone that is difficult to believe he's real, you know, it's, it's almost incredible what he has done with all these records and um, the game style that he that he plays. is. Uh, you cannot teach that, it's, no one can teach that, no one should be playing like him because it's quite impossible to replicate it in my opinion. Do you miss him on the tour? Yeah, I quite miss him. He's a nice lad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, He has a lot of... uh, He's a very charming person. You know, everyone loves him. Even if we're competing against him, you know, we obviously uh, prioritize our own interests and we want to beat him. We want to do the best against him. But at the end of the day, he's just brought so much uh, joy to our sport, you know, wanting us to become better. And well, you know, obviously not trying to replicate his tennis, but... um, He's really set the bar very high um, with the level of tennis that uh, has been played in recent years.
0: Stefano Tsitsipas will line up alongside Federer for the final time as part of Team Europe at the upcoming Lever Cup event in London. That event is the brainchild of the great Swiss, alongside his longtime manager Tony Godzik, who's married to the former WTA player Mary Joe Fernandes. Godzik and Fernandes were both in New York recently, cheering on their son Nico, who was taking part in the doubles event. So when I caught up with the youngster, I managed to get a few words about the influence that both his parents have had on his burgeoning career, as well as the impact. Federer has made
6: yeah Roger's always been such a big help to me um he's an amazing person I've looked up to him and uh yeah I mean he's a great mentor and um for me I love watching him and I've loved watching him his whole career so watching him win I think five titles here in a row um and make semi's finals consistently day in day out every every week um it's a a big inspiration and I, my, I always want to, you know, be like him. Uh, I try to model my energy like him, try to model my game, besides for the two-handed back-in I have. Uh, so, yeah, Roger's um, something I, I model my, my game and my tennis around. Have you talked a lot to him about... Tactics about technique,
0: about doing things. You mentioned the two-handed backhand. He said he'd probably play with the two-handed backhand if he was starting now. Did he he say that? Well, he suggested that that might be the way. I I, I don't
6: know. He might have been just uh, making a bit of mischief because it's a great backhand that he has. Yeah, he has one of the best one-handed backhands of all time for sure. Um, Yeah, you know, I've I've observed so much of what he's done um, on the court, off the court, and he's been super helpful. My mom actually, I always wanted a one-hander. My mom was the one that didn't let me have one. Uh, she said, "The modern game, you know, it's evolving to all two-handed backhands with the spins, the power everyone has. The return's too tough to be with a one-hander." And I think, she, you know, now my two-hander is one of my best shots. So I think she was pretty right about that. And you must have hit with Roger uh, when you were a kid. Yeah, I've hit with him a few times. I've been very fortunate. Um, it's been a privilege to, uh, to practice with him. There's, there's no one like him on the court. And uh, yeah, that's that's a super cool experience always.
0: So for those of us who around the world who'd love to hit with Roger and never ever get a chance, what do you get out of a hit with him?
6: Yeah, I, I try to observe what he does, um, how he just pretty much all he does on the court and during a practice, how he focuses each each shot he hits, what he tries to work on, um, the way he carries himself, how much what he trains on, how he prioritizes things, and then pull from there what I think is most important. And, um, yeah, I mean, he, for me, he does everything right. So there's, there's definitely no complaints there.
0: Now, you also hit with Nick Kyrgios on, during the grass court season. In fact, there's a rumor going around that you were the guy that turned him around, that you actually got him uh, playing very disciplined tennis.
6: Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, I, I was in Halle for a few days training. Um, I think he lost their semis, maybe, I don't know. And I was fortunate enough to hit with him three days in a row. Um, and... You know Nick, Nick doesn't always uh, practice in the past um, and when I started hit with him, you know I called my mom after and I was like, yeah you know it seems like he's trying you know it's really nice to see you know I'm a huge Nick fan myself and I love to see him do well. So when I saw him us doing drills and playing points and him going full out, I was like really impressed and I, I kind of saw this um, to be you know a good sign and maybe foreshadow his good run at Wimbledon but no I don't take credit for it at all. Uh, <laughs> Nick is a great player and he definitely deserves uh, all the success he's having.
0: Is there any difference that you were able to pinpoint between hitting with Nick
6: and hitting with Roger? It's a good question. I, they're, they're just completely two different play, um, players. Nick obviously has a great serve, um, Roger too, two different serves, different um, ways to cover it. I wasn't very um, very successful covering either of their serves, but Nick loves to play points. It seemed like in his practice, Roger likes to work on things and then play points, um, but they both they both worked hard when I was practicing with them, which was nice. And, um, yeah, it was just an honour to be able to practice with both of them. Okay, never mind the people you're practising with. What about
0: you? Uh, you, You're about to turn 18. Growing up with a Grand Slam runner-up as a mother and an agent as a father, do you get a sense of what your realistic achievements could be in the tennis world? Because you're certainly under no illusions about how much work you're going to have to put in.
6: No, I've seen it uh, firsthand how um, how tough it is to make it as a tennis player. And I want to be the best as possible. I want to make top 100. I want to be competing in these slams. Um, but I know it's definitely not an easy goal. And my parents will be there to to help me, support me. They tell me if I want to play, I can play. If I don't want to play, it's totally okay with them. Um, but I'm just super lucky to have such great parents that have done it um, and been around the sport so much that can help me.
0: And what is the best thing about being Nico Godzik?
6: Best thing about being Nico Godsick probably having such a nice great family as, as my sister my parents i enjoy spending much time with them and um yeah you know we're all super close and I, i'd probably say that's the best thing thank you thanks for the chat and all the very
0: best thank you so much Nico Godzik speaking to me at the US Open. So that's almost all we have time for this week. But before we go, while we look back on the great career of Roger Federer, how much does the younger generation know about the Swiss? That was the task Coco Goff and Felix Augiele-Assim faced when quizzed by ATP Uncovered, with the questions put to them separately in different locations.
7: How well do you think you know Roger Federer and his career? Pretty well, I'd say.
8: Oh my God! Uh... How do you
7: think you're gonna do
8: against Coco? Could be a draw. I think he he probably definitely would know more. I'm gonna I'm gonna try my best. When
7: is Roger's birthday?
8: I feel like this is unfair question. I'll give you multiple <laughs> choice. Me.
7: June 6, August 8, September
8: 9th. Ooh, September. Final answer? Yeah.
7: August 8.
8: Uh, August 8th. <laughs> because
7: we share the same one. Is that a hot bonus? How old was Roger when he first started playing tennis?
8: First started playing tennis? Oh my God, I know it's between three or five. I'm gonna just go with the youngest answer, so I'm gonna go with three. Five? We've got eight. Eight, he started at eight? Is that is that a fact? I'm, un- should, we call this
7: one. should we I call him up right can, now? I feel like we should call him up. I feel like that's a little late, but yeah, we're gonna go late. with it until otherwise <laughs> noted. He's that good. After he won Wimbledon in 2003, yeah. What gift did he receive? A cow,
8: a dog, or a car? Okay, I feel like a cow is something, no. I feel like a cow would be something, I feel like that's from his country, right? They do cows, I don't know, a cow.
7: Was it a cow? Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, a cow in Switzerland, right? Yeah. That's pretty crazy. What would you do with a cow if someone gave you one? I don't know, like, Make milk, I guess, and, and cheese. How many languages does Roger speak fluently? Well, French.
8: Um, English, obviously. German. Yeah, Swiss German, yeah. Four.
7: Swiss
1: German? So four? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I'm happy the best I got back to world number one.
7: Where did Roger achieve his 1000th win?
8: Oh my gosh. Oh, I remember seeing this on Instagram.
7: No, I think I remember.
8: Okay, I know it was in Brisbane. I feel like it's either Shanghai or or Paris. All right, I'm going to guess Paris.
7: I think it was in Brisbane. Brisbane? It was the final because he played Milos, I think. How many years has Roger finished
8: as world number one? How many times? Oh, my God. I don't know. I'm just gonna go with five. Five? I think uh, Novak has like the most, so. Okay.
7: (laughs) How was that? It was good. I think I know Roger pretty well. Maybe it's because we share the same birthday. Just just like that. So you're saying when we do the quiz with him about Felix, he's gonna get a perfect score too because of the birthday connection. Yeah, I think he should. You took down Coco? I don't know, maybe with, uh, maybe with the bonus points, you know?
8: If this is about Serena, I think I would have got it.
7: <laughs> well, next time we're going to have to put Felix on the Serena test and you guys are going to have to go yeah, battle. I
8: think...
0: <laughs> well, Coco really deserves an extra mark because Roger did start at three. There are even photos to prove it. He didn't join a recognised tennis club until eight, but he was hitting from three. And so we prepare for the final week of the career of one of the most remarkable athletes in the history of world sport, not just tennis. I remember having breakfast with Federer the morning after his first Wimbledon title back in 2003. He was very relaxed, if a little bit short of sleep. He had been up all night at the Champions dinner. He said then he knew life would change and he would have to change with it. But it's remarkable how much of his humanity has remained intact, despite virtually everyone he comes into contact with adoring him and fawning over him. And it's that humanity that's endeared him to so many people across the globe, along, of course, with his elegant and beautiful tennis. As a commentator, I always found it so easy, so good, so... So natural to commentate on Federer because the material he gave you just made the words flow thanks to shots you never expected, but you just marvelled at and, and reveled in. We'll miss him for a number of differing reasons. So that really is it for this week. Join me on next week's show and we'll have plenty of reaction from the Labour Cup and Roger Federer's final competitive Master Strokes. In the meantime, please check out the podcast channel this coming Wednesday on Spotify, TuneIn or Apple Podcasts for an extended edit of that conversation I had with fellow Federer biographer Chris Clary. I'm Chris Bowers. Thanks for listening and enjoy the tennis.